With that, if you'd turn now in your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 2. And I, I, well, I intentionally wanted to stir you all up a little bit. So the title of this morning's message is Beware of Sexist Hypocrisy. Now, if that doesn't get you, I, you know, that should get most of you. What is he going to do now with this passage of Scripture? This, as we come here now to verse 8, we'll reread that and focus in on it a bit here in 1 Timothy chapter 2. And then we'll take down through verse 15. We need to recognize, family of God, that we cannot yank passages of Scripture out of their context and make them say something they don't say. And unfortunately, there are many who do that with this passage, another that we find in Peter's letters to the church, to make it seem as though women somehow have a secondary and subsequent role on this earth to men. It is not true, and it isn't what Scripture teaches. And what is often missed as we study these passages by those who would take a legalistic view of these passages is that you can't have it both ways. For if we're going to say that women can't ever teach, which Scripture, by the way, not only doesn't say, we have several examples of women teaching in the church in Scripture. I myself have been taught, and I myself listen to our ladies' studies online. I do that because I want to know what they're saying. <laughs> I want to be able to defend my... No, I no, I get ministered to. I get blessed. Sometimes a female view of things is far different than a male view of things. I, I want to take this passage seriously this morning, but I also want to set you free. As maybe you're here this morning and you're in that group that you've been taught from a very early age that a woman probably shouldn't speak, shouldn't pray, shouldn't do anything when she's in church. Or maybe you're from that group that Paul was actually addressing. And you think everything's okay. You have kind of maybe that whatever mentality about church. Again, we find that the middle ground is the ground that the Lord actually is speaking to. And I pray that we glean from this passage and we get that healthy balance because we need both genders doing what God's called them to do in fullness and for the glory of the Lord if we're going to accomplish the things that God has for us while we're here on this earth. And so would you join me as we pray? Father, we want to now pause just a moment, having received in communion, Lord, from you that beautiful place of forgiveness and father that wonderful freedom that comes from being a child of God Lord let not the church ever be guilty of putting people back in bondage not men not women Lord no one should be brought into bondage as they give their lives to you you came to set us free Lord you really started to set women free, to do all that you had called them to do. And we pray that you would bless us now as we study your word, 
Use this time to instruct us, to bless us, change us, mold us, shape us. Make us just like you, Jesus, we pray. In your name, amen. Verse 8, and I want to go back because the context, gentlemen, the context, gentlemen, is first what men should be doing. The context is what men should do to lead. It says, I desire, therefore, that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. He will then go on to talk about, in like manner also. Do you see the connection? You cannot jerk these pieces of Scripture apart and make one say one thing and the other say another. They are linked together directly. Because the in like manner part pertains to now how each of us fulfills in a role as men and women in those gender roles what God would do with us and how we would conduct ourselves. And it's in the context of a church that was a mess in the city of Ephesus. And I want to be very careful this morning that we make sure that we understand what was being said. The context was not making women subservient to men. The context was men ought to be praying more with holy hands. Without spot, without blemish. In other words, the men were supposed to be setting the spiritual example. Everywhere. In home, in their churches, in their places of business, in the community, in politics, men ought to be praying. Men ought to be leading by example. And it goes on now, and let's take this passage in its entirety, and then we'll break it down. And it says, in like manner also, that the women adorn themselves in modest apparel with propriety, with moderation, not with braided hair, nor gold, nor pearls, nor costly clothing, but which is proper for women professing godliness. You notice the link back to the spiritual? It's not just about what was being worn. There's a purpose for that, and we'll get to it in a moment. But the purpose is godliness. It should be a compliment to those men who were praying openly with lifted hands holy before the Lord. There should be a single voice with which the church speaks, and it should be one that represents Jesus, family of God, in everything that we do, in all that we say. Which is proper for women professing godliness with good works. Notice how the doctrine and the duty are linked together. And so let a woman learn in silence with all submission. And I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man. And that, of course, is the linchpin. That's the keystone. That's the legalist verse they drag out every time. Well, you know, you guys had a female worship leader or you had a lady come to teach. Family of God, I sat in on a study with Heather Mercer, and if you remember her story, she was captured along with her friend by the Taliban. They were kept in a cargo container in the Afghan desert for almost a year. 
And as she shared from the pulpit what God had done in her life, I, I thought to myself, I'm not even a man. I, I need to grow up. I listened to her testimony. God, you know what? I don't think for the Lord Jesus, I'm not sure I could do that. To say that this verse actually says that women can't teach men is to yank it completely out of its context. Because the context is the church at Ephesus. And the church at Ephesus was a young church. This was being written to Timothy, who was going to go now instruct the church itself, mainly for the health of the church. And as he instructs the church for the health of the church, he's laying down some guidelines because... Most of the people in the church were baby Christians. They had just come to faith. And they had come from a society where women were not actually even allowed. Remember, in the Jewish society, in the Roman society, in the Greek society from which these ladies all came, they weren't even allowed to talk to men. They were not allowed to express a public opinion. Jesus changed all that. And now they're actually free. But to be in silence, for Adam was formed first and then Eve, and he draws back the original order of the way God has created mankind. And in no way, shape, or form does that indicate value of one being greater than the other. It's simply the order that God's created. God's done those things for a reason. And ultimately, if you have a discussion about one thing, doesn't somebody ultimately need to make the final decision? The answer to that is yes. Otherwise, you have a stalemate. But the condition that's laid upon the men in being those whom a woman might submit themselves to is Christ-likeness, not boneheadedness. It is godliness and contentment which brings great gain, not stupid ideas for which you have your reason that you want to do those things. Quite frankly, I'm sick to death of story after story after story of woman who comes to me, you know, my husband drug out this verse and he says, you know, we have to buy a motorhome because he's in charge. Well, we can't make our mortgage payment. Have your husband call me. I will fix them for you. Isn't what it says. For Adam was formed first and then Eve. Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. And the point being here, check this out. Who is told directly from God? Adam. Eve got it second hand. God's holding Adam accountable. Said, Adam, you got it directly from me. You told Eve. You see, we need to recognize that God does work in order. But that order does not give us an opportunity to say that women can't figure things out for themselves, can't hear from the Lord for themselves, can't pray in the church out loud. I've had multiple, 
well, you know, you know, after all, I'm a woman and I can't. Are you kidding me? Ladies, if it weren't for you praying, we'd be dead as a church. I say that to our shame, men, because the ladies do outpray us. Ouch. Did that kind of sting a little bit? And that's not all of us. I'm just drawing attention to some facts that exist in the body of Christ. How, how many homes is it the wife that's sitting at the breakfast table leading the children in prayer because the husband's too busy? Ouch. And I'm not trying to hurt anyone here. I'm trying to draw attention that you can't have it both ways. You can't have some kind of sexist hypocrisy here to where I'm supposed to lead in Christ, but when I fail at that and my wife picks up the banner and runs with the cause of Christ in her home that somehow she's done something wrong, that's ludicrous. And it's not what Scripture teaches. And nevertheless shall be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith, love, holiness with self-control. And so this very difficult passage, this passage which we look at and sometimes we take at face value and we go, wow, that's kind of not too kind and Susan B. Anthony would be really upset. The context, men, is I desire that in every place the men should pray. Lifting up holy hands. That's the context. It puts the onus upon us, gentlemen. Conveyed, in essence, in an attitude that the men, the andros, would lift up their hands to the Lord and seek God's blessing for the church, for their family, for their nation, for their world. That the men would be spiritual leaders. That is the context. That the men would be so godly and, and such amazing leaders in following hard after Christ that the wives would go, I want to be like that because he's like Jesus. You see, we need to also at the same time be clear of issues. Notice it says without anger, without argument. How many people's prayer lives, especially us guys, because we th- I think in general, in a general sense, that men struggle with anger more than women do. How many times do we men not pray effectively because we're harboring something in our heart? There's some tidbit of anger. There's some thing that we're laying hold of that, as Isaiah rightly said, your sins have separated you from God so that he is not listening or does not hear your prayer. How many men are not leading effectively in their home because they have laid hold of something that ought not be in their heart or their mind. And therefore, all the hand lifting in the world won't make them holy. You see, the focus, really, to put this in context, is to say, men, why don't you lead? Give the ladies something to follow. Give them an opportunity to see godliness being lived out in your home and in the workplace and in our world. Don't just make a blanket statement. Live your life in such a way it can be modeled. There are a couple of ways, if you remember, and and I want to show you how so very easily 
you can disprove this whole mess that women ought not pray, ought not ever teach, you know, any of those extreme views. As Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, another messed up church, right, in chapter 11, verse 5, he states there very plainly that women who prayed or prophesied, in other words, it's making the statement that they do, ought to do so with their heads covered. So in other words, he's saying women do pray and women do prophesy. We, we have all kinds of examples. We have Yodia, Syntyche. We have some of these ladies. Apollos, this great saint of the Lord who was a Jew that was converted, was ministered to by Priscilla and Aquila. Not just, not just Aquila, by Priscilla as well. We have these examples throughout Scripture that shows that the ladies absolutely can have a place, even in the ministry of teaching. The order God established was that men should be doing what they've been called to do. We're a little more wired to some of those tasks as a general rule. But I can tell you this, when you go to the mission field, if you were to yank all the women out of the mission field, there would be a lot of unreached people. Can I share something with you? Three, four to one. When we ask for people to go into the mission field, you want to guess which gender signs up the most? It's the ladies. You see, the picture here is, men, we need to step up to the plate and do our job. Do what God's called us to be. Be worthy of being leaders. Basically, what we have here is a time, and this certainly existed in the Corinthian church and in the Ephesian church, that, that there were a lot of new believers. There were a tremendous number of ladies in the church who had just, in essence, gained their freedom in Christ. They're now walking around. You mean I can learn from men? You, you, you mean I can actually talk to somebody and I, I'm not going to perish eternally for doing that? And so now Paul writes to Timothy and he gives this picture of how these things have to be moderated in the context of society or culture is another way to look at it. And these are very easy things to see. First, let me share with you a little culture of the city of Ephesus. On the hill there in Ephesus was the temple of Artemis or Diana. That temple was filled with thousands of prostitutes. And they dressed a certain way. And that certain way is what Paul is addressing here. They were ostentatious. They, they had gold, they had finery, they wore all kinds of things in a certain fashion that made them stand out so that when you saw one of them, you would go, that's a temple prostitute. That's what he's talking about. What he's in essence saying is, men lead, and ladies, make sure that you're not following the example of the world. 
Don't follow after the example of the world so that when someone sees you, they miss who you now are in Christ Jesus and they simply see the outside and they judge what they see on the outside because that doesn't look like the Lord. It says dress moderately, with propriety, with moderation. Can I remind you it doesn't say ugly? It doesn't say that you should dress like, you know, you, you were born in Little House on the Prairie days. It doesn't preclude you from using makeup or beauty products. It doesn't preclude you from doing any of those things. It doesn't say that you can't dress like a woman. What it says is propriety, moderation, modesty. It says, don't be like the world. It absolutely is saying, don't be seductive. It absolutely is saying, don't be sexually overt. It absolutely is saying that. Because what was being addressed was the temple prostitutes. So can we say, as Christian women, that you ought not be dressing like some Hollywood starlet that is not a good role model? I think the answer to that is pretty clearly yes. If it's suggestive, the answer is yes. If it's sexually attractive to the opposite sex, the answer is yes. You should not be dressing that way. It needs to be moderate. It needs to be appropriate. But it doesn't mean that you can't have nice clothes. It doesn't mean that you need to walk around in a granny dress full length to the floor. It doesn't mean any of those things. You see, what was going on here was that this specific uh, view had to be taken in context. There's an application for the day, but apply it as it applies today. Don't yank it out of its context. I've actually had, well, you know, you've got a lot of ladies and they wear gold. So, well, I have some of that gold, but, you know, you, some, of, some of the ladies, you know, they got awfully nice clothes. It's not what's being said here. It's that don't dress like the world. If your husband happened to have given you a five-carat diamond ring for your engagement ring, praise God, glory, hallelujah. Go sell it. Get a smaller one. No, please don't be in bondage to those things. Here's why I say that. You see, what we can now look at is as we examine this passage of Scripture, they were simply saying, don't be like the world. So if you're worshiping that ring or you have to have that ring, that's, that is absolutely wrong. But if you came from a place, how many of us came from a place that we aren't anymore? Uh, that would be all of us, Amen. Some of us maybe had some wealth. Maybe some of us, you know, you used to shop at Neiman Marcus and you don't have any brain cells. But, you, you, you know, you, I don't know. But I know this. Once you give your life to Christ, the standard is moderation and modesty and propriety. 
And so, yeah, you know what? You're probably not going to go out and do the same things you used to do, but it also doesn't mean as long as it's within modesty and propriety and it is not something that's ostentatious to the point of drawing negative attention to you, then you are walking in the liberty of Christ. And so please don't be in bondage again. I would say to what degree, you know, any of these things, braided, can you imagine braided hair if you took this literally? It's interesting to me how many people, you know, take that literally. Well, literally in context is absolutely correct. Literally out of context is not. Again, that's what the temple prostitutes did. Matter of fact, they braided them in a very specific way. That's what's being addressed. So just because you have braided hair does not make you someone who's out of God's will. I've had people come, well, you know, that lady, she wore braids in her hair. I used to wear braids in my hair (laughs) when I had hair. Please don't take this out of context. 1 Peter chapter 3 there, the first part of that particular chapter, reminds us of much the same thing. It says, wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands, that if even some don't obey the word, that without a word they might be one to Christ. And it goes on, don't let your adornment be merely outward with the arranging of hair and wearing of gold. So it goes on to kind of talk to this same issue in a little bit different perspective. It's saying, you know what, it's always about who you are in Christ. Would we stop judging people for what they are on the outside and give them an opportunity to prove who they are on the inside? That's the issue. You know, and some people are coming from a place they're not very far removed from a life of sin. As I've shared with you before, if we could all read each other's minds, you pass a little scanner as you come up the stairs. And that scanner goes, oh, you had a sinful thought. None of us would be here. There's not one person to be in this room. We're sinners saved by grace, and we're in different states of being matured. Amen in Jesus? And some people aren't quite there yet. And where you have opportunity to address maybe something like that in someone's life, do it with kindness and gentleness and meekness and self-control. Do it with love. Oh, I can't believe she wore that. You know what I'd share with you? I'm thankful they actually came to church. Now, it doesn't mean we want people to wear horrible, you know, icky things to church. That's not what I'm saying at all. What I'm saying is that sometimes when people first come to church, they don't know no better. They don't have a clue. Matter of fact, they're doing really good that they're not a temple prostitute anymore. Amen? Lighten up. Learn to look at people's hearts. Can I tell you that takes a lot more effort than looking at what they're wearing? I used to look at what people wore. I'm thankful that God's changed my heart and given me an opportunity to look past some of those things. We have a key statement in one of Paul's other letters, Galatians chapter 3. Very good one to underline. The larger context of what's being taught here needs to be taken in the context of this statement. 
And there are another that's in Acts chapter 2 in the words of Peter. But here in Galatians 3, verse 28, For there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, nor, what's the next one? Male or female. For you're all one in Christ Jesus. And the context there is who we are in Christ. It's not about whether you're a man or whether you're a woman. It's not making one better or one worse. It's about who we are in Christ. Has God defined some roles? Of course He has. But let us not give them more emphasis than Scripture puts on them. And nowhere does Scripture make ladies doormats. Nowhere does Scripture make you ladies to where you have to listen to every single dumb idea your husbands come up with because they simply are the head. If what they do is outside of the context of Scripture, you're not under any obligation to follow them to go rob a bank. You, you, you don't have to wake up in the morning, well, you know, I just, I know that you, you know, you like those magazines, even though they're vile and horrible. family of God, it is the grace of God, and it is the love of God, it is the kindness of God that has led each one of us to repentance in the first place. Let us not lose that in the application of Scripture that is clearly designed to be taken in context. Women weren't being singled out, and I don't believe that you should take this passage and make it a blanket statement for what women can and cannot do, because Scripture plainly states otherwise elsewhere. And when Scripture plainly states otherwise elsewhere, we can say that in the middle probably is where that lies. Peter's speech at Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, verses 17 and 18, the last days God said, I will pour out my spirit on all people. I want you to notice what he says. Your sons and your, oops, daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even your servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. There is definitely a role that God has called us to in the last days. And it means the fullness of all that God has for each of us. It doesn't mean assigning women to a lesser role. And it doesn't mean that there aren't established guidelines that God's laid down. It simply means that the application of those things is by grace and in love. I think sometimes we look at these things and we make them say what we want them to say instead of what they actually do say. In this case, I think Christian women ought to be dressing in a way that's appropriate for our day and time to speak to who they are in Christ. It's that simple. But please don't make your judgment of the gifts that that lady has or doesn't have based on what they wear or don't wear. During this day and time, uh, Diana was a fertility goddess, and basically she was this hideous creature uh, that I won't even mention what she looked like. But during the festival of Artemis, which was the temple to which this, this goddess was dedicated to, in essence, it was just a nonstop orgy. It was a hideous, hideous thing. And so Paul was saying in context, ladies, don't dress like you belong to Artemis anymore. Dress like the ladies you are in Christ Jesus. 
And as the Lord makes those changes, you're responsive to the Spirit, and you do those things on your own. You know, it's a natural progression. How many of us look back on our lives? I mean, I used to wear, I mean, some of the stuff I wore. I mean, I had like six-inch platform shoes and bell-bottoms, and it's just like, I mean, no man should ever be seen in those clothes. I didn't know any better. You know, that's what people did in their late teens and early 20s. You know, that was the dress of the day. It wasn't anything inherently wrong with it. You know, I got kicked out of a church because I came dressed like that. I got kicked out of a church because I came dressed like that. And you know what? I loved the Lord. I wasn't there for any other purpose. I just wanted to be with God's people. I was asked to leave. Because I had long hair, and I had on platform shoes, and I had two elders escort me out to church, and you, you're dressed like a woman. And I said, you're unloving and unkind. Never went back to that church. Interesting thing, that church isn't there anymore. It closed up, matter of fact, just a couple of years after that. It dried up with the walls beautifully painted and the roof nice and air conditioning running. God cares about spirit. God cares about hearts. We want to be looking to that gentle, loving character. And, and can I tell you that no amount of either doing on the outside or not doing on the outside really has much effect on that. I've shared with you before, we had a period of time at the Bible college when it was still up here on the mountain in the early 1990s. We called it the ugly period, where all of the girls decided that they would dress in Birkenstocks and floor-length dresses, and it was just, you know, it was, it was just this hideous, it was just not even right. And again, I'm not trying to pick on any, I'm just saying that there was this, okay, well, we'll just dress ugly and then the boys will not like us. We had more couples kicked out of the Bible college because of inappropriate behavior, and we had more babies born to Bible college students than we had ever had in, in past or since. Because you can also do all the right things on the outside and not change on the inside at all. How many people, oh, i got the right clothes on. I can tell you of my own stories. I'm dressed, I've got my suit on, I'm going in there, and my heart is so wrong. I'm sitting down, I am counting the minutes until he's done, kind of like you are right now. <laughs> Just like, if he doesn't end soon, I'm going to die right here. And I have a suit, and i got a tie, and I'm just like, it wasn't reaching the heart. God's looking at the heart. In this culture, these first century Jewish women, uh, they weren't allowed to talk to men. Only prostitutes did that. Only ladies of ill repute talked to men openly in public. And now they're set free in Jesus, and they're able to communicate these deep truths, and there's ladies that are talking about the things of God with other people openly in the public square. Do you think Jesus wanted that stopped? 
Now, we don't know to what extent the gospel was actually spread by ladies in the first century, but I can pretty much guarantee you they had a significant role. I can tell you emphatically they have a significant role today. Don't diminish the role of ladies in the church. Guys, I'm going to tell you something. There are times when women are actually more gifted than men. And if you don't believe that, I would encourage you to go check out the children's ministry right now. Find out who's been teaching your kids. There are all kinds of teaching roles. There's all kinds of ministering roles. There's all kinds of gifts. Basically, Jesus was the first one to give women equal rights. He said, in the eyes of the Lord, you have the same value in Christ Jesus. That was a new thing then. That was not something that had ever existed before. Let's not diminish that for some legalistic spin on a single passage of Scripture that can't be held up with the context of the rest of what Bible teaches. I may shock you one day. We may have a female guest teacher. And if that happens, if it happens to be somebody like Ann Graham Lotz or, you know, maybe I might even get my wife. She won't do it, but I'll ask her. <laughs> I might have Julie do it or something. You know, who knows? God has gifted many people. Let us not look at the gender of that person, but look at the heart of that person. Let's look at the giftings of that person. Have they been called? Have they been anointed? Have they been ordained in essence by God? Have they been gifted by the Lord? I sat two years ago in a Bible study with Ann Graham Lotz back in D.C., and I needed to repent. I was like, man, straight to the heart. It's like, yep, you're right. I'm sorry. I'm going to go kill myself right now. <laughs> and it was a good thing. It was a message I needed to hear. Make sure that you're getting your doctrine from the Scriptures and not from a verse yanked out of context. We find in Acts 18, again, as I said, Priscilla. We find in Romans chapter 16, Phoebe. We find in later there, Mary, uh, Tryphenia, Tryphosa, these ladies who were very largely responsible for the growth of the first century church. They were busy ministering. Now, where does this leave us? And I need to make sure that I wrap this up. What it says here is I never permit a woman to teach. That's not actually what it says. It says I'm urging you. It actually says rendered into English. It says to teach a woman I'm not allowing at this time. That's the implication in the Greek language. In other words, there weren't any women in the Ephesian church who were ready yet. Does that mean we're going to have a lady pastor? No, because I think God's order has been very clearly established from Genesis all the way to the book of Revelation. Men are supposed to have the leadership roles in the church. And the reason they're supposed to do that is the same reason that there's a Structure that's been designed in marriage. That's because I'm supposed to die to myself and lead my wife in following Christ Jesus. So if I reverse that in the church, I have just messed in essence with marriage. And God's designed for it. 
Now I start to pull about, pull his structure from this earth that he has designed. He knows what he's doing. All the little subtleties of it, they don't apply in every circumstance and situation. I, I have been in the mission field and I have sat there and listened to ladies. They're the only ones who will, will teach. God doesn't preclude any of this from happening. He's established an order. That order should be universal throughout uh, what God is doing here on this earth. It makes it the easiest to understand. It causes the least amount of confusion. Uh, But nowhere does Scripture teach male authority over women expressed in some kind of harsh domination that leads to subserviency. It ain't there. Period. Women were set free to be used of the Lord. Was Adam formed first? Yes. You know what that does? Makes Adam more responsible. He heard directly from God. Someday I'm going to stand before God and give an answer for how I led my family. For the kind of husband I was to my wife. For the kind of father I was to my children. For the kind of employer I've been for the kind of pastor I've been, I'm going to stand. Nobody should want any more of that than they've been called to. You see, God knows what he's doing. And if we do things his way, it works. And can I remind you that the original design for marriage was completion? The original design for marriage was completion. For the first time in all of creation, what did God say? It is not good. That was the first time recorded in history that something wasn't good. What wasn't good? Adam's loneliness. He wasn't doing too well. The parade of animals accentuated that, made it look larger. He needed a helpmate that was comparable. The Hebrew word used there, He needed a helpmate that rounded him out or completed him or filled in the gaps is another way to look at it. I can tell you who I am today is largely due to who my wife is. Amen. Amen. Probably most of us that walk with the Lord for any length of period of time can say that very, very honestly and directly to you. I largely am able to do what I do because of what my wife does. And without her, I can't do what I do. Don't ever underestimate the value of that. It does not make me greater than her. It makes me very thankful that she is who she is because I wouldn't be who I am without her. That's the order that God has. And one day I'm going to stand before God and say, you know what? I gave you a wonderful wife. What did you do with her? How did you lead her? What is it that became of your life together? Was it enhanced because of that order? Or was it diminished because you lorded over? May we get these things right. This whole issue of childbearing is very simple. Men can't do it. crazy 
How did Jesus get into the world? Through a woman. These things get pretty simple when you don't try and make more out of them than they actually are. There is a unique, wonderful role that only women can fulfill. Brought Jesus into the world. It's brought every other human person onto this earth that way. And the other part of that is is the beauty of motherhood, which for most women, notice the word I chose very selectively, for most women, that is their highest calling, to be a mom, to raise children. If you don't believe that women are better than that, our, our children would become wildebeests if men raised them. Seriously. When your wife leaves, what do the kids eat? Well, yeah, they're hopped up on ding-dongs and Twinkies. And, you know, yeah, we think we cook some popcorn, right? But we destroyed the microwave in doing so. There are things that women are just simply more gifted at. God the Father, God the Son, the Holy Spirit all possess those characteristics uniquely in and of themselves. We as humankind really don't. That's why we call them male and female characteristics. There are things that women are generally more gifted at. Tenderness, compassion, nurturing, those kind of things. Think of a man. There are not a whole lot of guys that are naturally like that. There are some. We gain those things from that completion that our wife is. That's what happens to us. All of a sudden, I get compassion because my wife is compassionate. I become more tender because my wife is tender. And she gains my strengths. I don't give up. I'm going to keep going. If it's hard, that just challenges me all the more to do it. You see, it's it's about each of us fulfilling that role that God's called us to, and we both benefit when we do. It's not about who's greater. God made that clear. We get to heaven, there isn't going to be giving in marriage. There isn't going to be the uniquenesses that we now see. You're going to know each other and love each other in a greater way than you've ever loved each other. But the fact of the matter is, is God has all these things under control according to his plan and purpose. And he never intended for women to be anything other than free. Amen? We are going to pray, and then I think we have the family Kibler back in the back. Yes, I see. I see them. Hi, Laura. Nice to see you back. Oh, she's staring at me. Why don't we pray, and we're going to dedicate little Caleb. Father God, as we come this day, and we deposit ourselves at your throne of grace, and we recognize the wonderful glories of your creation, and Lord, your word plainly declares to us that in the beginning, he, you, created the male and female. Lord, we thank you for the gifts that you've given that individually apply to each of us. Lord, whether we're man or whether we're woman, Lord, those things uh, you only know, you assigned in heaven, Lord, those uniquenesses, and we're grateful for them. We pray that we'd lay hold of this passage and never be guilty of laying a burden uh, upon anyone, Lord, that is not something that's of you. And so, Father God, we pray that you'd set those free that perhaps have wandered in legalism, and we pray that you'd restrain those who perhaps are are taking that liberty a little too far. And so, Lord, we thank you for the work of your Spirit. We pray that you would bless us.
We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.